Hi in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon. Welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground and mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is Romans 8:28, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. My guest today is Merritt Hearing, a retired letter carrier whose life was abruptly changed forever on July 3, 2007. It was on this day when his 16-year-old son, Elliot, drowned at Cannon Beach after getting caught in a sneaker riptide. He writes about the whole experience in his book, Lessons from a Son's Life and Death. I've been speaking with Merritt the last few weeks about his journey from the moment he found out that his son was lost at sea to his experience of figuring out his new normal. This week, we will focus on well-meaning friends who would share trite phrases and Bible verses that would rarely help. Merritt, I know that you recognize Romans 8.28 as obviously such a very powerful and important biblical verse, but for another obvious reason, this was one of the Bible verses people would absentmindedly really throw at you whenever you try to talk about your son's death. Yes. Um, it's difficult to deal with a person who you know maybe really, really well, or an acquaintance from church or work who's lost a child. I mean, for Pete's sakes, what are you supposed to say to them? We talked a couple of weeks ago, the fact that they can't possibly know what it's like to go through that, but they're having to deal with you. What are they supposed to do? I don't know how to say this tactfully, but quite frankly, um, I am of the opinion that the religious community is really handling this situation quite poorly. Uh, here's what I mean. Now, I- I'm going to say something to you now, and I don't want you to be alarmed uh, you know me a little bit that I'm not going to really, you know, do too much harm to you. So, so don't get nervous with this next statement I'm going to make. Okay. 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 Uh, Roger, do you have a knife we could borrow by any chance? You got it. Okay. Um, Elizabeth, I know you won't mind this, but I'm going to cut your arm off if that's okay. Uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't well, think so. well, okay. Well, here we go. So I'm I'm now cutting your arm off. Ow. And there it goes, falling to the floor. <sighs> but you know what? God's in control and. And he's, he loves you and has a plan for your life. Feel better? No. And if you said Romans eight twenty eight, I wouldn't feel any better either. No, you'd probably want to slap me. All things work together for good. And so the fact that your arm's laying on the floor and you have blood squirting from your shoulder, you know, God's in control. It'll be okay. Or, and now this is silly because we're talking about an arm and not a person. It's in a better place. Or aren't you over the pain yet? It's, it's you know, it's been three months if three months had gone by. Roger, you know Elizabeth. She's a good friend of yours. Would you say that to her if you were seeing her with her arm on the floor? Would you walk up and say, oh, it's all in God's plan. You'll be fine. It sounds ridiculous to me. Yes, it is ridiculous. And yet that's how people respond to people who have lost children because they don't know what else to say. And, and it's, it's out of a good heart. So here, here you are with your arm on the ground and you're obviously in horrendous pain. I want to do something to fix it but I can't make it go away, so I have to to say something to you, so I will give you my best three Bible verses. Or here's a book you should read that will make everything be fine, and the lilacs will come out again, and you'll hear music from the heavens, and your life will be great. 
Meanwhile, you still have blood coming out of your arm. You're in horrendous pain, and there's your arm dying on the floor. But we do that with ch- people who have lost children all the time, and we have to stop. You cannot, people will say, well, it says in God's word that God's word will not return void. Well, yes, but when God said that, he wasn't talking about throwing it out like Harry Potter's magic wand. You use the Bible lovingly and creatively and with compassion. You don't walk up to somebody who you barely know, who's lost a child or lost anything, and just quote a Bible verse at them, spin around, turn your heels and go, well, I did my part. She's better now. We would never do that with any other trial or with, you know, Roger would not say that to you if you lost your arm. But we do that when people lose their their child all the time. Now, I was very fortunate. I only had in in the 12 years, and and this was in the first nine, 10 months, I've only had one person say one rude thing to me. And I just stared at them like, what did you just say? And I'm not going to tell you what it was because it's between that person and me and everything's fine. But... In the uh, 100 or so people I have spoken with in the last 12 years who have lost children, I have heard stories that would just make your ears fall off. And you would go, why would anybody with any kind of a heart respond to a person like that? Because we don't know what to do. This is a person who obviously needs some kind of help. I had to say something. That's the first mistake. No, you don't. You really don't have to say anything. Now, this can get into a long uh, discussion a lot of it has to do, Elizabeth, with how well do you know the person? We spoke last week about uh, my dear friend Roger in the next room. Roger can say anything he wants to me. He can ask me anything he wants to ask about dealing with Elliot's death because he and I are as intimate as two men can be. He is my dearest friend and has been for many, many, many years. But if some guy, when I was delivering mail, if one of my customers came by and all of a sudden wanted to emote with me, and I hardly know them, they just moved in two weeks ago, that would be kind of offensive. You're, you're stepping too close too quickly. And we have to be, you have to judge what is your relationship with the person. If it's just casual, maybe all you need to do is walk up to them and say, I heard you lost your child. I'm so sorry. I'm sure there probably isn't anything I can do because I don't know you well, but I just wanted you to know that I really care about you and I will truly pray for you tonight. You'd be surprised how encouraging that would be to just have somebody say that. That sounds perfect. I think what you're saying, you're really imploring people as a man who lost a child, put your Christian bumper stickers away. Oh, don't even get me Christian bumper stickers. I, I'm Christian bumper stickers are the worst because they're trite little sayings that the words may be true, but there's no depth behind them. There's no feeling behind them. Um, a, a, term that, a terminology that I have used when I think about people who do this is we have too many of us it is easiest to, easier, too easy, I'm sorry, too easy for us to fall into the trap of being a professional Christian. Well, this is what a Christian must do. So I'm going to quote Romans 8.28 to him and tell him that God is in control and rebuke him if he's being too sad, and then I will have done my part. Now, part of the problem is that last thing I said. There is too much untruth in the Christian community that we're not supposed to be sad as Christians. That is ridiculous. If you have lost a child, of course you're going to be sad. You see sorrow and emotionalism all through the Gospels and in Paul's writings. Jesus certainly certainly emoted lots and lots and lots of compassion. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians, about having the compassion that God gives you so that you may have compassion on others. Here's the problem, Elizabeth. Compassion requires time, effort, 
and work. And our society doesn't want to include any of those three things. We want to go home and watch American Idol and go to work and get my car done real quick so I can go on vacation. And if I have to stop and take the time to invest in this person who's lost somebody, well, I just, I can't do that because I have my life to live. We don't want to, here's the thing. Everybody has pain. So why in the world would I want to sidle up to you and share yours? I've already got my own. But that's what we're being called to do. That is like, that's the gospel in a nutshell, is sidling up to other people and experiencing their pain with them. And again, the depth of the relationship depends on how much you're going to experience that. If it's somebody that you just know casually, you do what I mentioned a couple of minutes ago. If it's somebody deeper, maybe you invite them over for pie. Maybe you, maybe you have something where you're more not in a public situation and you just want to cry with them. Some of my most tender moments have been with people, and I wasn't even crying, but they're hearing my story for the first time, or maybe I haven't seen them in a couple of years, and I'll look over, and we're talking about Elliot, and I'm completely fine, and they're weeping. Oh, that's so encouraging. This person cares so much that their emotions are overtaking them, and they're leaking out of their eyes mm-hmm. because they love me. How can that not possibly encourage me? But the instantaneous fixes, they don't exist. On today's episode of Until We Meet Again, we're talking to Merit Hearing about how the church can do it better, how we can really help another brother or sister going through this pain. As a funeral director, I will be at funerals and occasionally there'll be somebody who's grieving and the occasional people are always grieving, but the occasional part would be somebody might say to them, you can't be sad. Why are you crying? How selfish of you. They're in heaven with God. They're fine. What are you doing crying? But what happens, though, is there's somebody who's left behind. Yes, you know your son is fine, and he's taken care of, and he's having a great life now. But what about you, the person left behind? What can we do better? What can the church know that we need for people left behind? First of all, pardon my, I'm kind of chuckling over here because I've, I've talked about this with a couple of people, in particular my daughter. Um, I, I will talk about my son <clears throat> and that he's passed away with people who maybe don't know me well. And usually their first response was, oh, that poor young man snuffed out in the early stages of life. And, and I get that. I, I, I get that. He only lived to be 16. But I'll tell them, no, you don't understand. Says, I'm not grieving Elliot. Elliot's in a better place, and I don't mean that in the bumper sticker way. I mean that in a real way. He's walking with his Savior, Jesus Christ, in heaven. He's in no more pain and never will experience. I'm not grieving for Elliot. I'm grieving for me. I'm the one that's sad. I'm the one. Elliot isn't hurting. He's doing fabulous. I'm the one that's in pain. I grieve for myself and for his, the rest of his family and his friends who miss him. That's where the pain is. Elliot is in no pain whatsoever. Why would you grieve for him? About him? Till the cows come home, but not for him. He's doing fabulous. How do you deal with people when they compare their story to yours? And maybe they're not even talking about a child. They're talking about, oh, yes, my grandma died five years ago. I know what you're going through. Uh, how do I do it in reality or how do I do it in my brain? Oh, that's right. <laughs> in my brain? Uh, let's not talk about that. Um, no, the point there is, is may seem obvious, but it, it isn't to some people. Um, if especially, and we're talking about losing a child here, if you know someone who's lost a child, that is not the time to walk up to them and tell them about how you lost your parent or your uncle or even a sibling or even your own child because what they're going through may not be the same thing that you're going through. They may not be 
they may be on a different timeline. Yours, like for example, I, I lost my child. Terrible situation. 12 years ago. If I walk up to somebody who lost her child six weeks ago and I try and equate myself with theirs, how offensive to them. They have to go through their grief, their mystery grief, the same way I've gone through mine. So yeah, you, you never want to compare uh, all the way up to a child. You also need to give them time. There's not a time frame on this. There's a, there's a, a reasonable time frame when you lose a parent. And obviously, it depends on how old you are when you lose the parent and how they may have died, or a sibling. But with a child, it doesn't ever go away. Uh, we mentioned last week that I will be missing my son right up to my last breath. Now, I don't miss him, and that's not the right choice of words. I'm not as emotionally scarred right now as I was 10 years ago, or even eight years ago, or even five years ago, because it's been 12 years for me. But it still hurts. I still miss him, and I always will. And to pretend that that's somehow going to go away, and I'm magically going to be magically going to become the person I was on July second, two thousand seven, that's not going to happen ever. In your book, Lessons from a Son's Life and Death, you mentioned that people will say to you, "Oh, I was going to ask you about this, but I didn't want to make you feel bad, or I, I, you know, I, I well, I don't want to bring it up because I don't want you to remember that your son died. How silly is that?" Uh, it's silly. I, I understand the sentiment and it's very sweet because the, let's face it, most reasonable people don't want to make other people feel sad or remember a bad thing. I can guarantee you, Elizabeth, if I see you four years, if I don't see you for the next four years and I see you four years from now when you walk and you say, how are you doing about your son dying? I'm not suddenly going to throw my hands in the air and going, oh my gosh, I forgot about that. That's right. My son died. Why did you have to remind me of that? That's ridiculous. The fact that you would ask me 16 years after he died and still want to know how I'm doing means you care. Now, I can't guarantee everybody will respond that way, but for the most part, people just want to know that one, their, their loved one, their child will not be forgotten, and two, I care that you as the parent hurt. Is there anything I can do? How are you doing today? And I'm, and I'm guessing, I'm, I'm making up a number here, 95% of the time, that parent is not going to be frustrated or angry with you that you somehow have ruined their day by bringing up the idea of their sons being dead. It's always there in the mind. It never goes away. I've never gone an entire day in the last 12 years where I've completely forgotten that my son's dead. That's never happened yet, and I don't anticipate that it ever will. And how important is it that people actually don't just say your son, but say Elliot, they say his name, they keep that alive? Um, quite frankly, it depends on how well they know me or if they knew him. Um, or if, and, I, and I'm trying to make a sale here. If they read my book, that makes a difference too. But if somebody who I hardly know comes up and starts talking about Elliot like they knew him and he was their best friend, I'm going, you're becoming a little too familiar and intimate here considering the fact that we just met five minutes ago. But yeah, sure, if, especially for somebody from his past. Um, I'm thinking of the, of the young lady that was with him on the beach that night. Um, when we talk about each other, or talk to each other, we're always talking about Elliot. And it's not just this kid who died or her friend who died. It's my son, Elliot, and her friend, Elliot, who died. By the way, I didn't get a chance to finish this part of the story last week. Um, Trish has become a very dear friend of our family. She was the last one that was with, with Elliot that night. And she eventually got married. And had a son and named him Elliot. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say that. Is that, that now that's a legacy. Yeah. The other thing that's really nice is that every year on my Elliot's birthday, she gets together with her husband and her little Elliot, and she bakes a birthday cake and they have a birthday party for my Elliot. 
every year mm. without fail. And I don't, I can't put a price on that. That means so much. There's been some amazing joy that has come out of the situation. There is also the woman who's painted the picture of your son on the horse. Yes. Um, my son, and he did not get this from his dad because I'm terrified of horses. I think it skipped a generation because my father was actually a professional jockey in his youth. When he was 15 years old, Elliot went up to his mom, who was living with her in Cannon Beach, and said, Mom says, I want to ride horses. And okay, he's never been athletic before or an outdoors kind of kid before. So she said, well, you better ask your dad. And so he came up and said, Dad says, I, I want to ride horses. You know, I'm, I want to be a horse guide. Now, in my mind, I've been to Canada or been to Seaside, and there's a there's a little horse ranch there, and my mind is picturing Elliot's hanging on to the bridle of the horse, and there's a three-year-old up in the saddle with a lollipop in her hand, and he's walking her around in a circle. Now, she, he wanted to ride horses. Now, what was became amazing, uh, the gentleman that he worked for, if you drive into Cannon Beach, just as you go into town and you cross that little creek, to your left are the Seaside or the Cannon Beach stables. That's where he worked. And the gentleman who was his boss, who has since passed on, told us that of all the, and he does this every year, he has kids come and work for the summer, and they, and they take people on horseback rides down the beach. Says of all the years that he was a guide there, or owned the ranch there, and all the kids he ever had that were guides, Elliot was the most natural kid in a saddle that he'd ever seen. It was like he was born to this. Uh, there's an amazing picture we have. It's the one you were referencing a minute ago where Elliot is flying down the beach on this back of this beautiful brown horse. And he's actually riding with one hand. Uh, and I was told that when Elliot rode with one hand, it meant he was one with the horse. And we have always said that it's his most Elliot moment he ever had in his entire life. I showed this picture. It, it's a, just a phenomenal picture. I showed this picture to a lady I work with who... And she looked at the picture and says, that's amazing. Well, how many years has he been riding? And I said, well, this was his first summer. And she looked at me and says, she said, what? I said, yeah, this is, this is one of the rental horses they have, and this was his first year. And she grabs the picture out of my hand, looks at it again. She says, I have my own horse. I have horseback riding lessons. I've been doing it for years, and I've never had a moment like this like your son has in this picture. We ended up having that picture painted into a beautiful portrait. A lady did it for us as a gift. And uh, it's, it's my, if, if my house ever catches on fire, once I make sure that my wife and in-laws are safe, that's the first thing I'm grabbing before I leave the house. Tell me about the nine and praying for them. Oh, the nine. <clears throat> Elliot was drowned on July 3rd, 2007, as you mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast. That weekend of the 3rd and 4th, 10 people were swept out to the, into the ocean from Cannon Beach, six of them in almost identical the same spot where Elliot was. One perished, the other nine were rescued. My son is the one who perished. And here's what I want to know. We talk about as Christians the, the deep theological questions we want to ask God when we get to heaven. You know, Explain predestination and election and, and how does salvation work and blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. This is the question I want to know. Are one of those nine in heaven because of my son's death? Either because a 16-year-old young man drowned in the ocean and one of those nine people said, I need to get myself right with God. I don't even know what this God thing is, but, but I need to get it taken care of now. Or maybe it was somebody, uh, and, and I don't know anything about these nine. I don't know if they're men, women, what ages. I know nothing about them at all. I, I've never met them. They're just the nine that, that survived. 
Maybe one of them, uh, it had no effect on their life at all. But they almost died that weekend, and they end up living for 60 more years. And at some point in that 60 years, they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Elizabeth, when I get to heaven, I want to walk up to my Savior and say, are one of those nine in heaven because of my son's death? That's my supreme question I want to know. And so every time I speak, and I'll, and I'll ask it right now to whoever's listening, whenever I speak at a church or a Sunday school class or whatever, and I mention it in my book, I ask people to pray for the nine. I know nothing about them. I just call them the nine. But just I would just ask whoever's listening right now to offer up a simple prayer that whoever those nine are, that they would be a little closer to God today than they were yesterday, and that at least one of them will come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ before they die. That's that's what I want to know. And that's more joy, actually. Oh, very come much. out of this. Very much. Can you share anything that someone has said to you that's just been poignant and powerful, either if it's just been a healing moment to you of somebody offering the correct grace for your grief or somebody coming to you and saying, I want to tell you a story about Elliot you might know? I wouldn't say necessarily a moment, but an event that happened and still happens at um, Seaside High School. Uh, Elliot would have graduated in the year 2009. At Seaside High School, uh, seniors have to accomplish what they call the Pacifica Project. And it requires going out and doing something within the community that does community good, um, and it's some kind of project that they do, and it's their senior, their senior uh, class project they have to do before they graduate. And the year that Elliot would have graduated, one of his classmates, uh, who was missing him desperately, decided to uh, raise money for a scholarship in his name. Amazingly, she raised $10,000. Um, I'm sorry, $12,000. Uh, two people um, gave anonymously $5,000 each. Because it was so much money, $12,000 they raised, they decided to not only put that into a scholarship for people for that class, but every year since then, they've had an Elliott Hearing Memorial Concert at Seaside High School. And whatever funds are raised at that concert get put into the scholarship fund. Now, what's really cool is that the kids who are playing in that concert now, 12 years later, they don't even know who Elliot is, but they still do it as part of his legacy at Cedars High School, and I'm so grateful for that. That's very special. That's amazing. So in your book, there is a chapter about humor. And when I first came across that, I paused for a minute and thought, hmm, that seems kind of funky. But after I read it, I thought, hey, this is fabulous. So explain some of that to us. Yes. Um, I have a chapter called The Sacredness of Humor. Um, I, like everybody else, I love to laugh. And sometimes all of us at different times will laugh about things that are maybe darker than others. And we discovered pretty early on that there are funny moments in virtually every process, including this one. I'll give you a prime example. Um, we started receiving obviously phone calls and cards and letters from people immediately after Elliot's death. Uh, I had been down at the beach for several days taking care of things along with his mom. I should say she was taking care of things and I was there to help. Uh, she was doing most of the work. And when I came home, I had dozens and dozens of phone messages, people calling and, and just you know wishing us their best wishes and their prayers and how bad they felt. Uh, one gentleman got on and his message was like everybody else's, uh, have felt so terrible about it and blah, blah, blah. And then he kind of stopped talking and it was obvious that he didn't know how to finish the phone call. And he kind of stammered this way and that way. And then he just blurted out, well, have a nice day. When I listened to that on the phone, I was so 
shocked at what he said. And then I just burst out laughing and explained to the people in the room what was so funny. And it ended up being one of the most precious moments because there's so much heaviness and so much emotion. You got to have an outlet at some point of just some, you know, this is just funny. This is just really, really silly. Um, Another beautiful moment I had um, at the time, I was working with five young married couples. Uh, I was a facilitator for a young married group talking about marriage and divorce. I had, had gone through a divorce. And these 10 young people have become like kids to me. I, I love them to pieces. We were at LAS Memorial at my church in Southeast Portland, and the place was packed. I thought we might get a couple hundred people. There were about 425 people in the church. It was just jammed, and I was so touched that Elliot's life had meant this much to this many people. So afterwards, I was talking with one of these young people who I had been dealing with. He actually had been Elliot's uh, youth minister. And I was commenting on how amazing it was that all these people had come to the memorial. And being a little bit flippant myself, I said, you know, says if I was to die, says there certainly wouldn't be this many people here. There'd probably just be a few people in you guys. And this young man gently put his hand on my arm and says, oh, don't be silly. We wouldn't be here. <laughs> and we laughed until we cried because it was so important to have that humor it was just so, so important. Um, I'm looking at the time we have here. If I may finish with one last story. Uh, this is a story that I share with everybody who I go to speak with. It's how I finish the book. Uh, it is a definition of what my son, who we have lovingly come to call a goober. Uh, my four children and I were playing Trivial Pursuit one Sunday afternoon, and we weren't using the board game per se. We were just asking the questions. Now, you have to understand, my son is not six at the time. He's 15. He's in high school, okay? So, you know, he should know stuff. My daughter asked him this question. He, she said, Elliot says, pelicans, are they a bird that they, are, they flock together? Or are they more of a bird that are solitary? Now, Elizabeth, you know what a pelican is, right? Yes. And you probably know what a pelican is since you were six because that's one of those weird-looking animals that has the, you know, I mean, everybody knows what an elephant is, a giraffe, a pelican. It's a pelican. I, my son says, what's a pelican? And we all started laughing because he's doing one of his goober moments again. And, and he realizes that, that he stepped into one of his Elliot moments again. And we're just cracking up that my 15-year-old son doesn't know what a pelican is. And he gets really embarrassed and he goes, oh, no, no, no. Those, I know, those are, the birds, those are the birds that bring the babies. So now we are really, we've lost it. We are dying, tears streaming down our face, that, that laughter you do when no sound actually comes out of your mouth. And he's just looking horrified, like, what, what have I said? What have I said? And then he gets this look in his face. He goes, oh, no, 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 I know. Those are called sporks. And we died. I mean, we just, we were on the floor <laughs> laughing. And when I think of my son, that's the story I remember probably more than any other because it was just so silly. And he was a, he was a goober. He was a wonderful young man. I miss him every day. I've been talking with Merritt Hearing, his book, Lessons from a Son's Life and Death, a fantastic book to pick up if you've had a child pass, if you want to understand what it's like and the best things to say to someone. It's all there in this book. It can be found at Amazon.com. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other.